Tired of the everyday routine. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing in a lonely canyon in the shadows of Superstition Mountain. While facing you, tempers ragged, guns drawn, are three men who at your first move toward hidden treasure will kill you. Today, with Paul Dubov, starred as Pascal, we escape to the Arizona desert and a lost treasure of a million dollars, as Ralph Bates told it in his most unusual story, When the Man Comes... Follow him. I was wrong. I know that now. But what good's it do? How could you tell dead men that it's all your fault and you're sorry? No matter what you tell them, they're still dead. So what's the use? It never would have happened if we hadn't got mixed up in this superstition business. We was going along fine. All the other boys in Frisco respected us. Stayed out of our territory, at least most of the time. That was on account of the boss, Mr. Heineman. He was too smart for him, and they knew it. Smart, and a great guy along with it. Of course, some people might call him an ordinary racketeer, but he wasn't like that. Nobody could have treated me no better. And he was cultured, too. Loved music. Played a violin almost as good as this fellow, uh, Heifetz, or whatever his name is. Why, one time he sent me clear to New York to pick up a Stradivarius he'd heard about. And I had to hang around the dealer's store for two weeks before I got a chance to lift it. He wouldn't have trusted a job like that to any of the rest of the boys. He trusted me more than any of them. Me, Pascal. That's how come I feel so bad about what's happened. Because he trusted me. And he had to trust somebody, you understand. Because for 15 years, the boss had been stone blind. Come on, Pascal. Eyes, man. Give me eyes. But it's foggy down there, boss. I can't see the bay at all, just the end of the bridge. And out toward the Golden Gate, there's nothing but just fog. I guess it's going to rain. What about the street below us, Pascal? What's going on down there? Nothing. Just streetcars and taxis going up and down and a few people. Not very many. I tell you, boss, there's nothing doing at all. It's a very dull day. All right, forget it. You can come away from the window. Why don't you play the violin a while? No, not today. I'm too restless. Something's going to happen, I think. Happen? What's going to happen? I don't know. Something... Are any of the boys here? Brian and Daly in the next apartment playing gin rummy. You want I should call them? No. I wonder if you know what it's like, Pascal, to live always in pitch darkness, depending on somebody else to tell you what's going on around you. Ah, forget it, boss. You got me. I'm the eyes, you're the brain. We're doing all right. Maybe, only sometimes I wonder... I'll get it, boss. I'll get it. Mr. Heinemann's apartment. Who? Well, I'm not sure whether Mr. Heinemann... Who is it? Oh, I see. All right, thanks. That was the manager. Your brother's here from Phoenix. Mark? He's downstairs? Yeah. He's on his way up. The manager couldn't stop him. He says he looks like he's in pretty bad shape. Ever see a desert rat that didn't? No. Well, so I'm to be honored by a visit from my sanctimonious brother. I wonder what he wants. Oh, money as usual. Three or four hundred dollars to finance another six months of prospecting, and he'll repay it by telling me what an evil man I am. I wouldn't give it to him, boss. Why not? As long as it keeps him over there on the Arizona desert for most of the year, I can stand one or two visits from him. 
You can hear the elevator stopping. Better open the door. I still say you ought to crack down on him. Open the door. Uh, hello, Mark. Help Come in. Me. Boss, he's heard of Help something. Help me. What is it? Eyes, Pascal. Quick. Hasn't shaved for four or five days. He's weak, Help trembling. Me. Holding on to the doorframe with his right hand, holding his chest with the other hand. I think he's been shot, boss. Yes, shot. Come here. Help Get me. Him inside. Take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, here, come, on. Here. come on. Uh, Over on the couch. Okay. Uh, come on. Here we are, boss. Uh, easy now. Uh, there. What happened, Mark? I had to get here. I want you to have it. So he can't. He's out of his head. Get Brian and Daly over here. Brian knows a lot about gunshot wounds. All right, boss. You. What happened, Mark? Who shot you? Shot. Connect me with 907. Had to come get on, here. Come on, come on. Hello, Brian. All the glitters. Right all the fools. Oh, fools. Treasures of kings and princes. Dying. Mark, you've got to get hold of yourself. Dying. Had to get here. You get it instead of him. Watch out for him. Oh, Mark. Map. Old map and a new map. He doesn't even make sense. Look. Look. Eyes, Pascal. What's he doing? He's raised up a little. He's pointing with his finger at the carpet about four feet away. When you get there... Watch for it. When the man comes, follow him. Understand? Sure, Mark. When the man comes, follow him. Yes. When the man comes, follow him. What's he mean? I don't know. Follow him. What's up, boss? Pascal said you wanted me. Come in, Brian. This is my brother. He's been shot. See what you can do for him. Yeah. Let's have a look. I've got to think. I've got to think. What could he possibly have stumbled into? Yeah, this happened a couple of days ago, at least. Should have had a doctor right away. He wanted to get here for some reason, but why? His daily boss. Hey, what's coming off in here? You're not cooking up something and leaving little Daly out of it. Ain't I in this, Mom? Stop your barking, Daly, before I throw you a can of Strongheart. Don't get so smart now, Pascal. I got as much right to talk around here as you have. I said shut up. Uh... The boss's brother is here. He's been shot. He's in bad shape. Yeah, you're not kidding, Pascal. Matter of fact, he's about in as bad shape as he'll ever be. Boss, he's dead. That was the start of the thing. When a doc came, he said Mark should have died 24 hours earlier. Said he stayed alive long enough to get to Frisco on sheer nerve, nothing else. Mr. Heinemann, he don't say much. He let the doctor take charge of everything. There was a wallet and some other stuff in Mark's pockets. Mr. Heinemann, he took it with him and went into his own room and stayed there. After a while, the other boys drifted back to their rummy game, and finally, about 10 o'clock, I went to bed. At 2 in the morning, I woke up to find Heinemann shaking my arm. Pascal, can you hear me? Pascal, come on, come on, wake up. Okay, boss. I'm awake. What's the matter? I've been thinking. Got some ideas I'd like to talk about. All right, I'm listening. It's about Mark, the things he said. They begin to make sense. Well, maybe to you, but not to me. Look, is this what I think it is? Oh, wait a minute, boss. Let me give it some light. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a map of a mountain range, I think. There's a lot of wavy lines like they use for valleys and ridges. There's some faded writing on it, brown ink. I think it's pretty old. Sixty or seventy years at least, uh. judging by the feel of the paper. Go on, Pascal. Describe it to me. Well, what looks like a road runs across the bottom along the base of the mountains. And there's a spot on it marked Red Hill. And there's a wavy line starts there and runs about uh, halfway up the map. It runs past some dots marked three trees. 
And off on one side is a little drawing of a shovel with a broken handle. And it ends at another spot marked uh, camp. It's probably a trail. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, a camp is beside a line that looks like the edge of a ridge or a cliff. And, and there's some writing that says, if no answer, go down. Hmm. If no answer, go down. What else? Well, about a third of the way to the left from the camp, there's an X marked, and it says, man lives here. Up toward the top, there's another X. That's marked uh, Thunder Peak. And at the very top, there's the word superstition. I guess that's about all. Good. Later, I'll have you take my finger and trace over the whole thing until I know it by heart. But this is enough to start on. To start what on? A search for whatever caused my brother's death. Something rather valuable, if my thinking is correct. All right. Only, uh, how do we go about finding it? Mark told us how. When the man comes, follow him. You know what it means? Not yet. Well, if the map's 60 years old or more, how do you figure this guy's going to be there? Because my brother found him and followed him and then died for it. We're going to follow him, too, you and I and Bryant and Daly. We're going to Phoenix. Boss, uh, I think maybe it's a kind of mistake to take Daly along. Why? Well, because he's a double-crosser. That's why I've been trying to tell you you can't trust him. Don't worry. I can handle him. He's not the one who has to be watched. Then who is? Bryant? Let's leave it for now. Call the ticket office and get four reservations on the next plane out. I've got the feeling we'd better move fast. By the next afternoon, we checked into the Hotel Westwood Ho in Phoenix and started trying to get a line on Mark Heinemann's recent activities. After two days, we still didn't have much to go on. He'd apparently hooked up with some new partner about six months before and gone into the desert. No one had seen anything of him since. An old man who ran a hardware store where Mark had bought tools and supplies finally gave us the tip-off without knowing it. Uh, you see, Mr. Heinemann, your brother was one of the fellows around here who believed in the legend of the lost Dutchman mine. I figure that's what he was really prospecting for. And what is the lost Dutchman mine? Well, it's supposed to be a deposit of gold. Richer than any that's ever been found. A real treasure of kings. Treasure of kings? Boss, that's what he said. Quiet, Pascal. Uh, okay, okay. According to the stories, there's supposed to be a map in existence uh, somewhere showing the exact location of the mine drawn by the Dutchman himself. Uh, during the last 50 years or so, a lot of prospectors have gone back into the superstitions looking for it, but none what of them... What do you mean by superstitions? Well, superstition mountains out on the desert east of town. That's where the mine's supposed to be located. Why are they called superstitions? Yes, because so many fellows have gone up into them and never come back. There's supposed to be an Apache curse on anybody goes in there. The range used to be sacred to the Indian god of thunder. I see. And why do you think these men never came back? Heat, thirst, got lost, snake bite. Oh, it's awful rough country, and there's no water. Then, too, there, there, there might be a kind of curse on the place at that. The double cross. Meaning? Well, blazing sun and a lust for gold can be a bad combination on a man's nerves. A lot of partners have come back out of those hills alone. Double cross, huh? Yeah. At least that's one curse that isn't limited to the superstitions. You'll find it in a lot of places. Well, we'd better go. Many thanks for your information. Well, not at all, Mr. Heinemann. Sorry, couldn't be of more help. So that's what Mark found, a gold mine. A rich one, maybe? It must be. Mark was dying and he knew it, and yet all he talked about was treasure of kings. Gold, in other words. He didn't even tell us who shot him. Maybe his partner did it. Maybe. Pascal. Yeah? 
I want you to buy a pair of binoculars and rent a car. Uh-huh. We're going to drive out and try to locate that red hill this afternoon. All right, boss. The one thing we've got to watch out for is that curse. That's what happened to Mark. Yeah, it's only an Indian superstition. I'm talking about the double cross. Mark wasn't the first man to die from it, and I don't think he'll be the last. Here, Pascal. Oh. Let me take your arm. I rented an ash sedan from the garage at the hotel, and we headed out across the desert east of town. It was late afternoon before we finally found it. The only red hill on the east slope of the superstitions. Mr. Heinemann told me to take the binoculars and try to locate the three trees that were marked on the map. I left the car, worked my way around the far side of the hill and almost to the top before I could see the trees standing close together on the shoulder of the ridge about six miles away, just the way they were shown on Mark Heinemann's map. I stared up at the pale blue peaks in the distance, watched the lightning flashes from near the tops of them and shivered a little. Finally, I turned and started back to the road. Dusk had fallen fast like a dozen the desert. And it was nearly dark when I reached the car and opened the door. Mr. Heinemann was slumped over in the seat with blood running from a cut in his forehead. He was unconscious. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first... Ozzie and Harriet are back on CBS, coming to you on most of these same stations every Sunday evening, just before the Jack Benny Show. You'll find them more delightful, more welcome than ever. Ozzie and Harriet's own two boys, Ricky and David, are now playing themselves in the CBS series. So make it a family party with Ozzie and Harriet tomorrow night. And now with our star, Paul Duvov as Pascal, and with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman, we return to the second act of Escape and... When the man comes, follow him. Boss. Boss, come on, I'll wake up. You're not hurt bad. It's only a little cut in your scalp. Come on, come on, boss. Come on, Pascal. Yeah, 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 it's me. I'm here with you now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Pascal. Did you see him? No, no, I didn't see anybody. Who was it? What happened? Come in. Talked with a Texas straw, wearing heavy boots with hobnails. Uh-huh. Came up on the side of the car next to the hill and poked a gun in my face. He knew who I was and that I was blind. He wanted the map. Did he get it? No. I put it under the floor mat Good. I heard him coming. Good. Tried to grab his gun. He slugged me. Started going through my pockets. Uh-huh. Ran off in the rocks when he heard you coming. Well, it's dark up there now. No good trying to follow him. Well, never mind. I know who he is. Oh, did he tell you? No, but it fits together. Mark had a partner. This guy? Sure. Who else could he be? Then this is the guy who shot Mark. I think so. I imagine there was a double cross, and he got even, but... Wait. No, of course not. What's the matter, boss? Oh, what a fool I've been. What do you mean? I had it figured all along that Mark double-crossed his partner and got shot for it. It was the other way around. Oh. It was Mark's map, and this partner doesn't know the secret of it. Uh. He probably knows where the man lives, but ten to one he doesn't know about following him. Pascal. Yeah, boss? Get the car started and head back for the hotel. We've got to get an outfit together and start up that trail tomorrow morning. There's no time to lose. Let's go. At nine o'clock the next morning, the four of us passed the Red Hill and started up the rocky trail that led toward the far-off heights of Thunder Peak. Brian and Daly each led two mules loaded with food and kegs of water, and I took care of Mr. Heineman. It was already hot, even at that time of morning, 
And boy, it got hotter. The line drawn on the map followed the crest of a ridge, but there wasn't really any trail. We wound around through tumbled masses of rocks and boulders, climbed over cliffs and gullies, and stumbled across crumbling slopes of debris that slid away beneath our feet and crashed down into the ravine. By noon, we were stopping to rest every ten minutes. Even the rest didn't do no good, because there wasn't any shade. By late afternoon, we'd covered only six miles, and we were done in. None of us had known how hot a desert sun could get. We were ready to turn back or fight one another at the least excuse. Come on. Move, you four-legged devil. It's no worse for you than it is for me. (laughs) What's the matter, Daly? Your tongue's hanging out. Let it hang. When I get back to Frisco, I never want to see the sun again. Uh, It's good for you. Nuts. It'll give you a tan. Get rid of that fish belly San Quentin complexion of yours. How would you like to have a bullet in the stomach, Pascal? Go ahead and draw if you feel lucky. Pascal, Daly, that's enough now. Yeah. Cut it out. Now, Pascal started. I don't care who started. That's enough. We're too close to a million dollars worth of gold to have the whole thing loused up because somebody lost his temper. You said a million dollars? That's right, Brian. According to the story, that's how much the Dutchman is supposed to have dug out of the mine and hidden... Before he was killed by Apaches without ever getting back to bring it out. A million dollars. Boy, what a man could do with a million dollars. Not a million daily. 25% of a million. That's the amount of your share, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was just thinking. Hey, look. Right ahead of us. We couldn't see him on account of the ridge. Trees. Three trees. Oh, boy, a little shade of sure ki- What's wrong? Eyes, Pascal, what is it? The trees, boss. The ones marked on the map. Only they're dead. Been dead for years, they look like. Yeah. There's not a square foot of shade under all three of them. Well, uh, can't be helped. At least it means we're on the right trail. Well, it's still the easiest way I know to get a million dollars. Let's push on. Two hours later, we came across a shovel with a broken handle stuck on the top of a pile of rocks, so we knew we were still heading in the right direction. The shovel had been drawn on the map. We stopped there for the night. A while after dark, the boss heard somebody in the rocks, so we put out the fire we'd built and took turns standing guard. And later, when the moon was up, I I thought I saw something moving a short way off, but I couldn't be sure. Yeah, it was a creepy feeling, thinking I was being watched, not seeing anybody. All night long, I could see the flares of lightning and hear the low thunder from the top of the shadowy peak ahead of us. Was I glad when dawn finally came and we hit that trail again. But two hours later, I was wishing for sundown again. It was even hotter than the day before. And on top of it, all of us were so stiff and sore we could hardly move. We cursed and sweated and stumbled through the long, blazing day. Finally, at dusk, we reached the spot marked Camp on the map. It was close to the edge of a straight-walled cliff that yawned over a deep box canyon below. There were signs of campfires and burrow tracks. This place had been used before. Yeah, we were too tired to care. Not even bothering to unsaddle the mules, we drank from one of the kegs and dropped down in the shade of a rock ledge, not able to move any further. After about an hour, the sun slipped behind the ridges to the west and left us in a shadow. The boss got us onto our feet, put Brian to search for something to use for a fire, and told Daly to unpack the mules. He took me with him to scout along the rim of the cliff and try to find out what was meant by the words on the map. If no answer, go down. After half an hour, we found nothing. 
and we were ready to decide there was no way to go down that thousand-foot rock wall when suddenly... Pascal, that was a shot. You see anything? No, no, it was back toward camp, but there's a ridge between us. I can't see a sign of any... Come on, Pascal. Yeah, take hold of my arm. Okay. Let's get back there fast. Who is it? Come on, come on, speak up or I'll shoot. Relax, Brian. It's us. That's Pascal and the boss. Did you see anybody? No. What happened? Ah, uh, somebody took a shot at Daly. He got all spooked up and fired off half a clip. It was that guy that's been following us, boss. I saw him here in the rocks not more than 100 feet away. And you missed him, I suppose. Well, it was dark. Hey, what happened to the mules? They're gone. Yeah, they stampeded when Daly fired off that gun in their ears. That's great. We'll have a fine time packing five kegs of water and all the supplies on our backs. Yeah, well... Boss... We don't have five kegs of water. There's only one here. One! I hadn't unpacked the mules yet, boss. I, I, I was going as soon as it got a little cooler. You fool, you stupid, lazy, blundering fool! That's what I've been telling you, boss. All the brains this dope's got... You is... shut up, Pascal! One more crack, it's a help me Daily, I could kill you and love it. I could stand here and pump bullets into you and love it. Do you know how long a man can live up here without water? 24 hours at the most. But we still got five gallons of water. I didn't know they were going to run off. How could oh, I... shut up. It's done. That's that. We'll see if there's any chance of finding them. And try to keep from getting yourself shot. Better go with him, Brian. Okay, boss. Come on, smart boy. If you don't shut find up. them in 20 minutes, come on back. Five gallons of water for four men. It'll take us a full day to get down into that canyon and find the spot where the man lives... Another day to get back here, if we're lucky. Then two more days back to the road. I guess we can just barely make it. There's only one thing, boss. There's no way to get down into that canyon. I think I've got the answer there. At least that's one thing that shooting did. Listen. Hello! Hello! Sure. It's an echo. If no answer, go down. Yeah. I think we'll find a spot someplace along the rim of that cliff where there's no echo. When we do, I think there'll be some way to get down to the bottom. We'll try it in the morning. And uh, one other thing, Pascal, before they come back. Yeah, boss? From here on, keep an eye on Bryant. I think that gold is beginning to look pretty big to him. I, I think maybe you're making a mistake. I think Daly's a lot more to, likely to try something. He's a born double-crosser. No. This... He's a fool and a coward. But Brian's the one who's dangerous. And you do as I tell you. And watch out for him. Do you understand? All right. Sure, boss. Whatever you say. An hour after dawn the next morning, we found a spot on the edge of the cliffs where there was no echo. Slanting downward from it was a narrow, steep crack in the wall. The four of us took turns packing our one last keg of water and inched our way down toward the canyon floor a thousand feet below. We made it finally, rested, then struck out to the west following the map. Great chunks of rock lay tossed about it, though giants had played there, and thorn and cactus grew everywhere among them. The sunlight curled and blistered on the surface of the boulders, and always from above us and nearer now came the sullen and ominous roll of thunder. At noon, we stumbled across the bed of the ravine, nearly missing it from being half-blinded by the heat. And three hours later, we found the place where the man lives. It was marked by a monument built of broken rocks stacked up higher than our heads. 
Mr. Heinemann felt all over the surface of it with his hands and then told us he knew the meaning of the words, when the man comes, follow him. But he said it wasn't time yet, we'd have to wait. And we sat there by the pile of stones, not talking much, just waiting. Two hours passed. I think it was Daly who noticed it first. Look. Look there on the ground. There's somebody here. He, he's behind us. Hit the dirt! <laughs> I don't... I don't see any... Eh, uh, so that's it. Boys, I'm a little disappointed in you. Scared by a shadow. Oh, well, Look well. at it. It's a shadow of that pile of rocks. Looks just like a man with a hat on holding a gun. Yeah. The rock pile don't look like a man, but the shadow does. Well, since he's apparently come now, I guess we'd better follow him. Huh? How do you mean follow him? The sun's going down. The shadow must be getting longer, stretching out over the ground. So get going. Follow the direction it's pointing. Yeah, Pascal will stay here with me and keep you on line. Watch for signs of something buried. Rocks laid over it, a cleared space, something of that kind. We're not more than a few feet from a million dollars. Let's get it. The two of them worked their way along through the rocks while I stood by the monument and waved them toward one side or the other. Part of the time, they were out of sight behind a ledge of boulder. An army could have hidden in that broken mess and never been noticed. I kept describing everything that was happening to the boss. And about 20 minutes went by before I heard Daly shout, We found it! Gold! It's here! We found he it! He scrambled over a ledge and came running toward us, calling out and holding something in his hand. Then about 100 feet away from us, he stopped suddenly and drew his gun. Pascal, what is it? What's happening? Daly's pulled a gun on us, boss. Drop it, Daly! Drop it or I'll shoot! No, Pascal! He's in between us, you fool! He's hiding in the rocks! All right, Daly, you asked for it! Pascal, no! I got him, boss! The dirty double crosser! You fool! He was gonna kill us, boss. He was coming at us with a... Wait. Wait, somebody staggered out of the rocks there and fell. Somebody I never saw before. My brother's partner, the man who's been following us. But then Daly killed him, and I killed Daly. Boss, I thought Daly was shooting at us. I... I didn't know there was anybody else there. Well, you know now. I told you to keep an eye on Bryant. What's happened to him? Pascal, where's Bryant? Right behind you, sucker. Look out, boss! Lousy shooting, Bryant! I got him, boss. He missed me and I got him! Good. Only he didn't miss me. Boss! No, 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 boss! Pascal, can you hear the thunder? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's real loud. That's funny. Same old curse. Double cross. My fault, boss. I should have done like you told me and watched Bryant. A million dollars in gold for somebody else. Don't talk like that. It's for us. For us, for you and me. I'll get you out, boss. You're not really hit bad, you know? Bad? I'm dying. And you too, Pascal. What? You're going to die too. What? What do you mean? The you water mean? keg. Bryant's bullet smashed it. I heard the water running out. Huh? No. 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 Am I right? Uh, yeah. So. Gone. It's three days out to the highway, Pascal. And you don't have any water. You poor devil. You don't have one single drop of water. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented Transcribed, When the Man Comes, Follow Him, by Ralph Bates. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Pascal was Paul Dubov, with Herb Butterfield as Mr. Heineman. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Jeff Corey, Barney Phillips, and Junius Matthews. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are standing on the rolling deck of a pirate junk in the China Seas, 
and facing you is the sinister figure of the most feared man in the Orient, a general who has just doomed you to death. Next week, we escape with an unusual story, The General Died at Dawn by Charles Booth. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape! It's wonderful, truly amazing, how much you can get from just one radio program. The unbounded passion of the world's greatest Don Juan, the unrivaled music of the world's most eminent soloist, an unsurpassed lesson in philanthropy. Also, some of the greatest laughter you'll ever hear. For the program is The Jack Benny Show. Be sure to hear Jack Benny and his gang again Sunday at 7 o'clock Eastern Time over these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by the Let's Pretend program over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are standing on the rolling deck of a pirate junk in the China Seas, and facing you is the sinister figure of the most feared man in the Orient, a general who has just doomed you to death. Today, with Bill Conrad starred as O'Hara, we escape to China and the gripping story of pirate treasure, as Charles Booth told it in his fascinating novel, The General Died at Dawn. Yeah, China was spitting me out like a cherry pit. I was sitting that afternoon on a bench in the strip of park that fronts the harbor of Shanghai. And all I had in my pocket was an English shilling, and it was counterfeit. Well, I sat there and stared at a ship in her berth at the Asia-Pacific docks. She was a crack liner named Pearl of the Orient, due to sail at 11 the following morning. Europe bound, by way of Suez. Well, bitterness, a counterfeit English shilling, a need for physical action. All of a sudden, they melted into each other and bubbled into an idea. 
I left the harbor and made my way to Frenchtown, to a narrow street of two and three-story buildings, and into one of them, and up a shabby stair and along a dim corridor to a door with Mark Ramsgate printed on it in gold letters. Ramsgate, I've come for the 1500 you owe me. Would you mind shutting the D-double-O-R? There's a simply killing draft. The 1500 Ramsgate, I want it now. Aren't you the persistent one, though? Now, where was it you say you advanced me this huge sum of money? Chunking, four years ago. Oh, yes, Chunking. I was in a nasty mess with the police, and you simply flew to my aid as a fellow American. Isn't that it? Hmm, delicious. But too, too fantastic. Start counting out the money, Ramsgate. Well, you listen to the man. I'm a private investigator, Mr. O'Hara, not a banker or a missionary. I, can't I am not the most patient man on the China coast, Ramsgate. Mr. O'Hara. Can you crack a walnut between your forefinger and thumb? I can. You see? Would you mind leaving now? I've scads of things to do. Um, what's this? Careful, careful, that's Ming. Oh? Yes. Gorgeous, isn't it? I use it for a goldfish bowl. It's empty. <laughs> I didn't feed them. They lasted six days. Well, if you have no goldfish, you don't need the bowl. Oh, I'll... I'll smash you for that. I can be smashed. Try it. <coughs> he was strong and very fast, and he wore an enormous ring, which was damaging whenever he landed a punch. But he'd lost his coolness, his best asset, really. And it didn't last very long. No! Treat all your visitors like that, Mr. Ramsgate. Huh? Oh. Hello. Uh, come in, come in. Shut the door. Uh, have a seat, Miss... Uh... Mrs. Mallory. Irene Mallory? Why, yes. May we speak privately, Mr. Ramsgate? Well, my friend on the floor is fast asleep. What can I do for you? I came to ask you to locate someone for me. A man here in Shanghai. There's a job to be done, and he's the one for it. Oh? What's his name? O'Hara. Gerald O'Hara. Do you know him? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, who sent you to me? Papa Conti. Oh? O'Hara was at the Hotel Conti this morning, broke, and told Papa he expected to collect some money from a man named Ramsgate. Has he been here? He's been here. I, uh, I can find him for you, but it's uh, going to be expensive. My fee will be, uh, $1,500. Mm-hmm. Five and five. One, two, three, four, five. Here you are. Thank you. Please work very quickly. Very quickly. Is there anything I can tell him concerning the job for which he is the one? Yes. Tell him it involves General Yang, Yang's business agent, and half a million dollars in gold. I'll be waiting at the Hotel Conti, Mr. Ramsgate. All right. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> huh? You play the loveliest hand of poker, Mr. O'Hara. Got the fifteen hundred you came for, didn't you? Well, you bounced back fast. How much did you hear, Ramsgate? That's for me to know, you to find out. I will. Good afternoon, Mr. O'Hara. Good afternoon. And would you mind closing the D double door? Yes. Well, I had what I came for, all right. I would argue the ethics of it with myself when the planks of the Pearl of the Orient were beneath my feet. And I was on my way to an atmosphere that didn't 
rot a man's brain with the dampness of things dead and done. I turned into Nanking Road and stopped in front of the Asia-Pacific office. In the plate glass window, the Gerald O'Hara who'd helped build the Trans-Siberian Railroad, who'd gone after ivory and rubies and gold. That Gerald O'Hara took a look at the Gerald O'Hara who'd rooked Irene Mallory out of $1,500. And then I hailed a rickshaw and told the boy to take me to the Hotel Pierre Conti. Ah, Gerald, my friend. Ça marche? Ça marche, Papa ça marche. Uh, do me a favor, will you have Mrs. Mallory paged and brought here and let me use this office for a few minutes? But of course. Hello. Your front desk? Who? Do you, Mallory, call you Laigo? Saji Lau? Papa, about the money I owe you, I, I thought I'd have it for you today, but my lead blew up. I, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. He is sorry. Huh. We have known each other all these years. You bear the scar of a knife that was meant for me, and you expect me to pass you for money? Huh? Oh, Gerald. Well, it's a bill, and it's got to be paid. Yeah, then let me worry about it. There's no point in us both worrying. Huh? Oh, that will be Mrs. Mallory. There's cognac on the desk. Uh, visit her for you, my belle. See you later, Gerald. Good evening, Mr. O'Hara. Oh, I suppose Conte told you who I was. No, I recognized you this afternoon. Oh. Um, here's the money you gave me. Oh? Do you know what the odds were when you handed it to me of your ever seeing me again? I was ready to cut my best friend's throat for the price of a ticket west. Wouldn't you prefer to leave with a good bit more than that? Oh, the half million you mentioned? Yes. Would you uh, care to hear about it? Well, perhaps care is too strong a word, but I'll listen. There's a man named George Martell registered here. He's General Yang's business agent. Do you know him? Your eyes are lovely. I like your eyes. Yang had $500,000 worth of gold bars here in Shanghai. Can you guess why he kept his funds in bullion? Well, it'd be hard to abscond with almost half a ton of gold. And Martell has been converting that into American dollars for some time now. But there are two things he doesn't know. Yang is aware of what he's doing. Learned about it last week. And Yang will be here in Shanghai tonight. Well, Yang enjoys a good deal of tolerance in this city, but he's still an outlaw with a price on his head. He has no legal recourse. He's got thumbscrews and jackboots. Don't you see what I'm getting at? Martel's life isn't worth a grain of rice once Yang arrives. Yang's here now. What? He's here now. I saw Sergeant Wong, his ADC, dressed as a coolie down at the docks this morning. All the better. Unless Martel shares the money with us, we won't help him escape from Shanghai. You, uh, you could arrange a way out for him, couldn't you? Oh, yes, yes, I... I know ways, but uh, I'm not the man for the job, Mrs. Mallory. I, I'm as empty as a sucked egg. I'm tired, very tired. I just want to crawl out of Asia. I'm sorry. No pride? None. Certain? Positive. Not even enough to resent that? Or this? Why, you little... You're hurting my wrist, O'Hara. Come here to me. Where's Martel now? In the bar. Then he goes to dinner. That's his routine. You know his room number? Yes. Well, lead me to it. Was that the last valise in the closet? Yes. 
Well, we know now that Martel doesn't keep the money in his room. That would have been too obvious. Don't ever be deceived by the obvious, my dear. The techniques of hiding and finding haven't changed since Poe stated them in the purloined letter. Our next move... Someone's coming down the hall. No, out with the light. Martel! Shh, behind the screen. Hmm, what perfume do you use? It's marvelous. Shh. Well... Heavenly room you have, Mr. Martell. My, so comfy. Get to the point, Mr. Ramsgate. What is it you wanted to speak to me about? General Yang, the Shanghai funds, and what you intend to do with them. Have you been prying into my affairs? <laughs> just an old busybody, on I? Ramsgate. Don't try for a gun, just don't. What is it you want? All the money you have. And the alternative? I'll tell Yang of the naughty, naughty thing you've done. Mr. Ramsgate, I beg no, you. No, no, no. Uh, either give me the money or be prepared to face Yang and tell... Uh, oh, O'Hara. Oh. Oh, Hello, George. Irene, see if Ramsgate has a gun. Okay. George, have you met Mrs. Mallory? O'Hara. Oh, Here's the gun. Oh, good. Now see if George has one. Ah, easy, okay. George. Here it is. All right, now put it in your purse. Yeah. George, you know me, don't you? I mean, you know me. Eh... Uh, I know you, O'Hara. Were you going to accept Ramsgate's offer? Uh, I think that I... Wouldn't have done you any good. Yang has a price on your head right now, didn't you know? Oh, yes. Ramsgate would have taken your money and turned you over to Yang anyway. Well, I thought that I'd be able to think of some scheme while Yang was on his way. On his way? Yang's uh, in Shanghai right now. Uh, no. Look, now, here's O'Hara, our proposition. No. One third apiece to each of us, and I'll help you escape. One third? To each of us, one third to you. You better take it, George. Well... But tomorrow morning, Yang will have blocked every exit from Shanghai you could think of. You need us, George. And you know I always fulfill my end of a contract. Help me, O'Hara. Help me, please. You accept? Yes. Good. Yes, where's the money? I want it in my hand before I so much as make a move in your favor. Please. It's not here. In the hotel, I mean. It's in the safe in my office in the Rue Montauverne. Let's go after it, George. Let's go after it. We left the Hotel Conte. I hailed a taxi and George gave the driver the address. It was just past the dinner hour and the night traffic was thickening. Across the harbor, I could see the lights of the Pearl of the Orient. (laughs) Tomorrow morning, I thought to myself. Tomorrow morning, I'd be on deck taking a last long look at China with a fortune in my pocket. Irene followed my glance and then smiled up at me and squeezed my arm. Have you ever been to France, Irene? Yes. You know the stretch along the coast of Normandy between Offleur and Treville? No. I, uh, I'd like to show it to you sometime. I'd like to see it sometime. <laughs> Good. We got out at the shabby end of the Rue Montavene. Martel was trembling so violently that I had to take the key from his hand and open the door myself. Easy, George. Now, just take it easy. I'm in a bloody blue funk, O'Hara. Yeah, we know the feeling, George. Now, where's the money? It's in the safe. Small valise in the safe. Oh, get it. You really can get me out of Shanghai? Look at me, George. Uh, I really can, can't I? Uh, right, right. Uh, now then, left, 22. You know, there's a drink they drink in Normandy called Calvados, a brandy. Right. Did you ever taste it? No. Really? <laughs> Uh, vast horizons will soon open for you, I think. Uh, there. There we are. Have you got it? Yeah. Here, I'll take it. Okay. Now, where's the key? The bag's locked. Oh, right here. Wait a I always carry it. 
O'Hara. What? Face at the window. Oh, the light. Shoot! Shoot, O'Hara! Well, I don't think I hit anything. Let's get back to the hotel. The street was deserted as we left Martel's office. I expected almost anything, but nothing happened. Nothing at all, except that I slipped on the broken glass scattered about the sidewalk and almost broke my neck. And we took a taxi back to the Hotel Conti. No, we won't go to your room, George. Irene, we'll uh, hold up in yours. Do you think we're safe here? Well, it's relative. We're safer in the Conti than any other place else in Shanghai. Not that that's saying much. At least we have an ally here, Papa Conti himself. In you go, George. Thanks. Now, Irene, here's the money. Don't let this valise out of your sight for a moment. Take the gun out of your purse now. You know how to handle it? Some. Uh, sit down, George. Yeah. No, no, not on the chair. Huh? Sit on the floor facing the wall. Yeah, okay. Now, look, Irene, you've got a double job. Yeah. Keep George and the money in and everyone else out. Understood. O'Hara, you're not going. Well, I have to arrange your exit. Do you expect me to do it by telegram? Oh, well, that reminds me. I'll need that 1500 of yours again. Uh, how much do you weigh? 118. Delicious. Here's the 1500 uh, You'll be repaid out of George's end of the cut. Well, I'll be going now. I'll be back in about, uh, oh, three hours at the latest. Lock the door after me. I'll see you soon. Take care of yourself, O'Hara. Right. I uh, wish I could think of something entirely reassuring, but all I can come up with is this. I think we've got a 50-50 chance of making it. They'll tell you Shanghai is the coldest-blooded, most cynical city in the world. Has none of the charm of Paris, nor the comfort of London, nor the youth of New York. But as I made my roundabout way to the docks, past the food shops and the dens and the coffin makers and the honky-tonk joints, I, I suddenly no longer cared about that. I felt vaguely excited and eager for the next moment. And then finally, I found the man I was looking for after a tour of the bars. He was a big-bearded Swede named Nelson, the owner and captain of an old bum freighter. And after an hour or so of negotiation, we had it straight. He'd have a taxi driven by himself, parked near the alley two blocks from the county, ready to pick Martel up at dawn and carry him to the ship. Fifteen hundred down and another fifteen thousand from Martel when he was safe on deck. And that was that. I was back at the hotel by 2.30. Irene. Irene, it's O'Hara. Irene. Irene. I put my ear to the door and listened. Nothing. I grasped the knob to shake it, and the door swung open. The lights were on, and the room looked as though a tornado had gone roaring through. Bureau drawers open, clothes flung out, luggage slashed, and Martel lay upon the bed, uh, staring at the ceiling, his face ripped badly, his hands and legs tied tightly. I walked over and put my fingers to his neck. Uh, he was dead. A small valise lay next to him on the pillow. It was open and empty. Made my way to the bathroom. Irene. O'Hara. Turn off that water. I was trying to stop the bleeding. Give me the towel. Now, come on in the other room. What's happened? I don't know. A couple of hours after you left, there was a light knock at the door and a voice that sounded like yours said, open the door. Yeah? Well, don't look at me like that. It was time for you to be back, and I had the gun. I opened the door just a crack, and suddenly a hand appeared, and it turned out the light, and, and that's all. When I came to, it was the way it is in there, and I had a bump on my head. The money's gone. I know. 
Have any idea who did it? No, none. It could have been anybody. Could have been you. O'Hara. Why not? You had the chance, and as you say, you had the gun. It could have been you. Yes, and it could have been you, but I don't think it was. Connect me with Mr. Conte, please. O'Hara. Oh. Hello, Papa Conte. Uh, this is O'Hara. Look, will you come to Mrs. Mallory's room immediately, please? Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, I want to speak to Papa Conte. He's probably the wisest man in Shanghai. Do you think I did it? I didn't say you did. I said it could have been you, and it could have, too. But I ought to talk to Conte. There are things that bother me about the whole deal. I, I connect it in some way with slipping on the broken glass in front of George's office and George being beaten to death. Now, why should anyone have done that? The money was there and George was tied securely. Why beat him? And something about George's having to depend on me for a getaway. I always considered him a very cautious and careful man. He had the money. Surely he would have planned his own escape long before I ever... Well, that's probably probably Conte. I'll get it. Yeah, Design. Come in, Papa. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. O'Hara. Ramsgate. Get inside, Papa Conti. All clear, General. O'Hara. Hello, Yang. Yo, Ramsgate, close the door. All righty. See if O'Hara is armed. A pleasure. I have it, General. So, the dog is dead. And the bone is buried. Oh, I will find the bone. Well, first you must find the other dog. Perhaps I'm looking at him. Try to prove it. If you do not kill Martel, why have you not sent for the police? Shall I telephone them now? O'Hara, what would you do if you were in my position? Well, I'd search the luggage and personal property of all of those here. Then if I didn't find the money, I'd question us, all of us, including Ramsgate. And if I didn't find what I was looking for, I'd make my apologies and look elsewhere. It is good advice. I accept it. Conte, you have a baggage truck in your garage. Go outside, give the key to Sergeant Wong. And no tricks, Conte. My men are at every entrance and every floor. Ramsgate. Yes, General. Go with Conti. Tell Sam Fu to take a squad of men, pick all the baggage belonging to Mrs. Mallory and Papa Conti and George Martel. Bring it to my headquarters. Tell them to take also Martel's body. Yes, General. Come along, Conti. O'Hara, you and uh, Mrs. Mallory will come with me. Where to? To the pier of Yin Lui and Company on Sujo Creek. And then? To my Shanghai headquarters. The Lao Ping, a sea-going junk, it lies in the anchorage. Come, O'Hara. Come. It's almost four o'clock. How long do you intend to keep us aboard, Yang? The money is neither upon your person nor among your belongings. I must now persuade you to talk. Will you do so willingly? And if we do not? I will turn you over to my bodyguard. You have heard of them? Who hasn't? What have you heard? Oh, something about your destiny being their destiny and their lives being your lives and that they would do anything under heaven that you commanded? That is correct. Will you talk, O'Hara? Look, General, I know nothing of Martel's death or the location of the money, as I've already told you. Mrs. Mallory. I can't add anything to what I've already said. Not can I. And Martel has been silenced. Pity. General, 
Aren't you going to ask Ramsgate? Ask me? Why, the General and I understand each other thoroughly. Don't we, General? It was I who told the General where to find you all. Didn't I, General? What could he possibly ask me? Well, during the past hour, I've thought of one or two things he might ask you. Yang, you've noticed the cuts on Martel's face. Uh, notice them now? Have you noticed the cuts on mine? They are alike. And have you noticed the ring Ramsgate wears? General, Excellency, there's a conspiracy to injure me in your eyes. Let me see the ring. Let me see it. Excellency. Still flecked with blood. You kill a dog. Yes, yes, Excellency, I did, but only to avenge you. Only to avenge you. Where is the money? I don't know. I swear I don't know. You lie. No, no, no. When I opened the valise the woman was guarding, it it, it was empty. It was empty. No. General. General, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Yang, look out. He has a knife. Ah! Oh, God. Excellency, no, I, I didn't mean to. No, don't shoot. Oh, no, ye. Excellent. Don't, don't, don't shoot. Don't, ah! <coughs> Wong. Wong. Wong Chun Sanyo. O'Hara, what is he ordering him to do? Something about killing us. O'Hara. Shh. Yang, this is a thing I... Never expected to see a man of destiny stabbed by a fat fool while his bodyguard, his loyal bodyguard of 12, stands by and watches? You'll find it amusing. And before I die, you and your friends will be dead. Can you laugh at that also? Perhaps, but not as much as all China will laugh at Yang's loss of face. China will laugh for centuries to come at the story of how Yang was killed while his devoted bodyguard lived. China will not laugh at Yang. My bodyguard will not live. They will have shot one another. At whose command? At my command. It will be their will also. They have lost face too. And unbearably, can they continue to live? No one will believe that your bodyguard, foolish enough to let you be stabbed, would obey a command to kill themselves. Uh, your name will be a laughing stock. No. They will joke about you in the tea houses. No. Your sons will die of shame. No. And why? Because 12 dead fools with rifles in their hands will be all that you have to speak for you. Oh, you lie. You lie. I will show you. Go, Dick Bing. Go, Dick. You go. Go, you go. See how they line up facing each other, six to six. They face each other, but they do not aim at each other. Mertin. Do you see how they take aim at each other, O'Hara? They take aim at each other, Yang, but they do not fire. They will. They will when I command. Now watch, and you will see a thing to make you marvel. To marvel again whenever you remember Yang. Kai Po! Was Yang not right? Was he not? Right? Well, this is it. 
Goodbye, Papa Conte. Goodbye, Gerald, and much good luck. And to you also, Mrs. Mallory. Thank you, Papa Conte. I'll send you a piece of the wedding cake. Do that, yes? Thanks for everything. I, uh, I'll repay you the loan as soon as I can. Of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, Gerald, Mrs. Mallory, could you stand a rather bitter joke upon yourselves? No? What's that? About the money you two sought. A, a letter came for Georges Martel this morning. It is from a brokerage firm here in Shanghai. It says, Dear George, this is to confirm our conversation of this morning. Unless you can raise $40,000 additional margin, we will be forced to sell you out. We regret doing this to so good a customer, especially in the light of the half million dollar loss you suffered these last two months. But businesses, etc., etc., you are sincere. You, you understand, Jerry? Yes, yes, I thought it might be something like that. That's why he didn't arrange for his own escape. Each day he expected to recoup his losses. And he tricked us in his office on the Rue Montauverne. He didn't want us to learn the valise was empty, and so he pretended to have seen that face at the window. Yeah, that's right. And then when we put out the lights, he must have thrown something through the glass, a paperweight or the like. That's what puzzled me about the broken glass. It was on the sidewalk and not in the room. It was also why Ramsgate killed him. He couldn't make Ramsgate believe his story. Yeah. Um, Papa Conte... May I have the letter? <laughs> I'd, I'd like it for a souvenir. Oh, but of course. Thank you. Well, au revoir, Gerald. Au revoir, ma belle. I wave to you from the shore. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye Papa. No regrets, O'Hara. Regrets? <laughs> None. No regrets for the past and no doubts for the future. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented transcribed The General Died at Dawn by Charles Booth, adapted for radio by Walter Newman, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as O'Hara was Bill Conrad. Featured in the cast were Estelle Dodge, Larry Dobkin, Ben Wright, John Daner, Jack Crucian, and Peter Prouse. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, we escape with the unusual story, The Great Impersonation, by E. Philip Oppenheim. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape! The adventures of Ozzie and Harriet are now heard every Sunday night on most of these same CBS stations just before the Jack Benny Show. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news and the Let's Pretend program, which follow immediately over most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? You want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. It is September of 1939. The Germans are about to march into Poland, and you are standing in an English manor house with a complete list of Nazi agents in your possession. While facing you, guns drawn, are three people who, to get that list, would gladly kill you. Today, with Ben Wright starred as Sir Everard Dominey, we bring you an exciting story of super espionage, as E. Phillips Oppenheim told it in his fascinating novel, The Great Impersonation. Incredible. Von Ragestein, this is incredible. He is drunk? Dead drunk. Yes, seldom otherwise. Ah, hold the light closer to the cot so I can see yeah, you yeah, better. Yeah. Ah, truly incredible, von Ragestein. You and he are as alike as... Well, I would swear it was you lying here on the cot. Yeah. Hair, nose, mouth, everything like a, a smudged and smeared portrait of yourself. Identical features. And we have the same color eyes, and there's not an inch of difference in our height. Where did you find him? Oh, he staggered into camp three days ago. He had been hunting lion upriver until his boys deserted him. He had not paid them in several months, I gather. I sent a runner to fetch you at once. That is something I shall have to report to Berlin as a serious breach of discipline from Ragestein. You were to avoid all contact with me except through the usual channels. But, Dr. Schmidt, may I... Permit be- me to finish... Obedience to orders is as necessary in the secret service as it is in any other branch of the German army. I understand I have spent 20 years here in Tanganyika, establishing myself as a harmless old archaeologist. During that time, I have created an espionage organization second to none, right under the noses of the English, and not once have they suspected me. Is all that to be ruined because you choose to engage in a little frolic of your own? This was not a frolic. Sir, I, I, I weighed the risk very carefully and considered it worthwhile. I, I, I believe you will agree with me when I tell you that this man is Sir Everard Dominey, an English baronet, and that we attended Oxford together. Shall I continue? Yes, yes, continue, von Ragestein. He is a ne'er-do-well. He lives on a small sum that comes to him each month from his estate in Norfolk. He has been here in Africa almost as long as I, 11 years. Oh, but I could go on for hours. I know as much about him as he does himself. And I've been thinking that... That you could go to England as Sir Everard Dominey, and no one there would be the wiser. Dr. Schmidt, a German agent in England, operating at the highest social level... Would be invaluable, I agree, but... But what, sir? The proposal raises three questions in my mind. So... What about the assignment upon which you are engaged here? A certain flexibility is necessary in these matters. And how will Dr. Goebbels feel about your leaving Africa? Ach, surely by this time he has either forgiven me or forgotten the entire incident. <laughs> you don't know the little doctor if you think that. When someone steals away one of his women, as you did, uh, what was her name? Stephanie Strom. Yeah, yeah, as you did, Stephanie Strom. 
he never forgets and never forgives. But I will undertake the responsibility for initiating your plan. Prepare to leave for England at once. You will receive further orders before you embark. Thank you, sir. I must go now. There are many arrangements to be made. Sir, you said that there were three questions raised in your mind. Hmm? Oh, yeah. I was wondering what to do with this Englishman. Kill him as soon as possible and dispose of his body. Good luck, von Ragestein. Heil Hitler. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Heil Hitler. That night, a new Sir Everard Domini was born, and Leopold Ragerstein vanished from the face of the earth. Dr. Schmidt's arrangements were most thorough, and I arrived in London less than a month later. Uh, Mr. Mangan will see you now, sir. Well, thank you. My dear Sir Everard, a most unexpected pleasure. Most un... Oh, dear me, how changed you are, and how well you look. Credit Africa, Mr. Mangan. A wonderful country. It's done wonders for you. Dear me. Uh, are, are you thinking of settling down here for a time? Well, that depends a little upon what you have to tell me. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Uh, regarding the matter of Roger Unthank, nothing has been heard of him since the day you left England. His body has never been found. And uh, my wife? Her ladyship's condition is, I believe, unchanged. She is in excellent physical health, but mentally... She still swears to take my life if I ever I sleep under the same roof as she again. Uh, well, I... I uh, see. She... Uh, I, uh, I may very likely settle down at Domini Hall. Oh, I'm afraid the estate is still not in very good condition. All those debts you left oh, yes. behind... Quite, quite. Yes. Uh, the business object of my visit to you is to ask you to make arrangements as quickly as possible for the paying off of the mortgages of the Domini estates. What? I, I've been making a good deal of money in Africa. Great Scott. A Domini making money. In the 40 years I've managed the Domini interests, I've never known that to happen. <laughs> dear, dear, I can hardly believe it. Well, have lunch with me, Mr. Mangan, and I'll tell you something of my speculations in Africa. Why, thank you, Sir Everard. Oh, uh, my knowledge of restaurants in London is a bit uh, dated. May I suggest the Carlton? Oh, excellent. Give me your hat, Sir Everard. I shall check it. I'll be with you now. All right, I'll wait for you right here. Leopold. Leopold, huh? why didn't you let me know you're in England? Ah, oh, Leopold, how happy I am I to think see... you're making a mistake. My name is not Leopold. <laughs> Darling, do you deny knowing me? Madam, I do not have the pleasure. Uh, my name is Domini. Everard Domini. I don't... Und Leopold, my address is 17 Belgrave Square. Come there at seven this evening. But, my dear I lady... I shall expect you at seven. Seven, Charles. Dear me, Sir Everard, wasn't that Stephanie Strome? Well, I, I don't know. She mistook me for someone else. Oh, she is a marvellous actress. Marvellous. I saw her in Macbeth last month. And she, uh, a table for two? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, this way, please. She played Lady Macbeth, you know. And in that scene... Oh, excuse me one moment, Mr. Mangan. Uh, Seaman! 
Seaman, my dear fellow, how are you? Well, Everard, what a surprise. <laughs> May I introduce my friend and legal advisor, Mr. Mangan? Uh, Mr. Mangan, Mr. Seaman. How do you it's a pleasure, sir. Seaman and I were business associates in Africa. Huh? Will you join us at lunch, Seaman? Thank you, but I cannot. Uh, where are you staying, Everard? At my estate in Norfolk, near Flankmere. I, I, I'm driving there this evening. Why, um, I have to be in Norfolk on business tomorrow. Be my guest, will you? Thank you, Everard. Thank you. And good day, Mr. Mangan. Uh, good day, sir. Now, as I was saying, I... Uh, what was I saying? Uh, you were about to ask me if I cared for a drink, and I was about to say yes, a scotch and soda. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, the same for me. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, sir Everard, do you think it wise to return to Dominey Hall before... Uh, Lady Dominey has been prepared for it. Mr. Mangan, does she really regard me still as the murderer of Roger Unthank? The mystery has never been solved. It's well known that you two fought that night and that you staggered home almost senseless. Roger Unthank has never been seen since. If I'd killed him, why wasn't his body found? Oh, there are many theories and quite a few superstitions. You may as well be prepared for one of them. There's not a soul for miles around Dominey Hall who doesn't believe the ghost of Roger Unthank still haunts the black wood near where you fought. Oh, but that's incredible. Yes, yes, I would agree. Except that from time to time, it has been heard shrieking and sobbing. Oh, come Sir now, Everard, Sir Everard, I have heard it myself. <laughs> Tired, Mr. Mangan? Uh, just a bit, but we shall be there in a few minutes. I telephoned before we left London, and they have rooms ready for us. Um, any of the old servants still left? Oh, none. Every servant and caretaker we've had there has given notice within a month. At least a dozen swore that they had seen the ghost of Roger Unthank and heard his call at night. That's the sole reason why I haven't recommended long ago that you should get rid of Mrs. Unthank. Oh, she is still in attendance upon Lady Dominey? We couldn't get anyone else to stay there. And her ladyship absolutely declines to leave the hall. Uh, through that gate, Sir Everard. Yes, I remember. Oh, some of the old wall is down, I see. That wall has been down, to my knowledge, for 30 years. Of course. I'd forgotten. We've kept the old place weathertight. And I don't think you will miss the timber we were forced to sell. Oh, any from the Blackwood? Not a twig. Not one of the woodmen would ever go near the place. You and I will take a look at the Blackwood in the morning. Well, if you insist, Sir Everard. How, how does it feel to be at home after all these years? I feel as though this is my first visit. Uh, oh, uh, good evening, Mrs. Unthank. There's no place in this house for you, Everard Dobney. No place here for a murderer. Oh, really, my good Can woman. Can you face we... me, Edward Dermony? You who murdered my son and made a madwoman of your wife. Mrs. Unthank, return to your duties at once and understand that this house is mine to enter or leave when I choose. And you will treat Sir Everard with respect. Have, have rooms been prepared for us? You will be in the West Wing, Mr. Mangan. And the Oak Room has been prepared for Sir Everard. You mentioned respect, Mr. Mangan. If he stays here against my bidding, perhaps her ladyship will show him what respect means. Good night. Oh, dear, dear, dear. My dear Sir Everard, I'm dreadfully sorry that... Oh, such that's a... quite all right. I... Quite all right. Well, I 
I think I'll turn in immediately. Oh, we'll make the rounds of the estate after breakfast. Sir Everard, are you really going to sleep in the oak room? Yes. Why? Have you forgotten? It's next to her ladyship's. And, and... No, I have not forgotten. Good night, Mr. Mangan. I do not know how long I had been asleep when I felt the thin, cold pressure against my throat. I opened my eyes and I saw a hand, a small, slim hand in the moonlight just beneath my chin. If you move, you will die. Remain still. I wish to look at you. Rose. You are very brave to have come here. Braver than I remembered. Why do you wish to kill me? Doesn't it say somewhere? A life for a life. You killed Roger Unthank. Last night his spirit called to me below my window. No. No. Don't move. Let me look at you, my husband. It's a strange thing to own after all these years. A husband. What? What do you see? You're wonderfully changed. Better looking. I have changed, Rose. And I've come back a rich man. I shall bring some wonderful doctors here and they'll make you quite strong and well again. I've been wondering why I don't kill you ever, as I've sworn to. I know now. I know why I don't. Why, Rose? Because I've just realized you aren't Everett at all. Yes, that's why. You needn't fear ever that I shall kill you. Because you're not Everett at all. I spent the most of the next day going over the estate with Mangan, and when he left for London in the afternoon, he carried with him my check for £90,000 to settle the mortgage on Domney. And soon after his departure, Seaman arrived. And it was very good of you to have invited me. Well, come into the library. Uh, how was your trip here? Oh, very pleasant. Very pleasant. The countryside is lovely this time of year, and, uh... How did it go, Leopold? Well, I think... Good. Mangan accepted me completely as Everard Domini. And if I say so myself, I think that I have made a very convincing transformation into an English country gentleman. Oh. Oh, of course, <laughs> it's been uncommonly expensive. Yeah. Every penny you gave me when we met at Cape Town is gone to pay off the mortgage of Sir Everard's... Oh, excuse me. On my estate. Well, we could not have you return home to a poverty-stricken domain. You'd have held no place whatsoever in English social life and no welcome from those with whom we desired you to stand well. Now... There is no bottom to our purse in these matters, and more will be deposited to your account. Ah, from my African investments? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, from your African investments. So, all has gone smoothly? Yeah, yeah, all except Good. for one thing. Oh? Uh, Stephanie Strom met me by chance in a restaurant yesterday. She recognized me at once, of course, and seemed quite piqued when I denied knowing her. She demanded I called upon her at her home yesterday evening. Well? Has it occurred to you that she has claims upon Leopold von Ragerstein which would altogether interfere with the career of Everard Domini? Our relationship before I left Germany was fairly well known, and if we are seen together now, 
Someone might put two and two together and... Yeah, 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 you're right, of course. I'll see what I can do. It will not be easy. Stephanie is extremely strong-willed and impetuous. She will do as she is told. See? Anything else? No. Good. Now listen very carefully. I have instructions for you. I am listening. We move upon Poland in September. Now, if England declares war, it will, of course... Render espionage work here extremely difficult in two major respects. Yeah, one, one, the English will redouble security precautions. Mm. And two, it will be almost impossible to bring in money with which to pay our agents in this country. It is with the second difficulty that you will be concerned. Your function will be that of paymaster. Go on. Now, from now until September, three million pounds will be given to you. Ah. To whom do I disperse this money? Ah, the day we begin to conquer Poland... Written instructions together with a list of all our agents here and in Ireland will be placed in your hands. Understood. So until then, live the life of Sir Everard Domini Baronet. So I will visit you from time to time to keep you abreast of events. So goodbye for the present, Leopold. I have a million things to do. Oh, and uh, good luck in your impersonation. Thank you. I think I shall need it. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, May 16th, we'll see the opening of the United States Treasury's Opportunity Drive, a drive to acquaint all those Americans who aren't already saving via U.S. savings bonds with the opportunities they are missing. Men and women who know through experience the many merits of this kind of saving are urged to become volunteer salesmen for the U.S. Treasury. If you would like to help sell American Opportunity, get in touch with your county savings bond chairman right away. And now with our star, Ben Wright, as von Ragestein and Sir Everard Domini, we return to the second act of Escape and The Great Impersonation. I followed Seaman's instructions to the letter and pursued exactly the course I thought Sir Everard Domini himself would be likely to take. I put Lady Domini in the hands of a Dr. Harrison, a psychiatrist. I pensioned Mrs. Unthank off, but to my surprise, she remained in the vicinity. I began to entertain upon a lavish scale, shooting parties, hunts, dinners, and dances. Unavoidably, Stephanie appeared among my guests from time to time. It was evident from her manner that Simon had spoken to her concerning me, and quite forcibly. It was also evident that she did not like it. I could see her patience wearing thinner and thinner. And one Friday to Monday, as I was walking through the garden after breakfast... I wish to speak to you alone. Well, my guests will be... Your uh... guests are well occupied. And in any case, I'm one of them. What is it, Stephanie? Leopold, can it be you've lost your love for me? You've changed so much and in so many ways. Stephanie... I thought it had been impressed upon you. I am not Leopold, but Everard Domini, an Englishman and the owner of this house and the husband of Lady Domini. I can almost believe you are an Englishman. You stand there cold and aloof as one. You whose tears have fallen upon my hand, whose lips... You speak of one who is dead. What has changed you like this? What has dried up all the passion in you. Careful, Stephanie. Someone is coming. Yes, what is it, Parkins? Big pardon, sir, but Lady Dominey has returned. Oh, thank you, Parkins. Uh, Stephanie, will you excuse me? Leopold, something has just occurred to me and I shall not see you 
Or rather, trouble you for a while. I'm going to take a sea voyage. A sea voyage? Where? To Africa, Leopold. To Africa. May I see my wife, Dr. Harrison? This evening, perhaps. It's been a fatiguing journey for her, and I would prefer her to rest as much as possible. How is she? Well, except for one hallucination, she's in perfect health. And this one hallucination? That you're not her husband. It's not within my power to dispel this hallucination. You are the one to do it. That's why I brought her home. What can I do, Doctor? She needs warmth and affection, Everard. I see. I, I'm very grateful to you, Doctor. I, I shall do everything I can to complete her recovery. Thank you. Yes? It's I, Rose. May I come in? Yes, Everard. Rose, I I couldn't go to sleep before welcoming you home. Thank you, Everett, dear. That makes me very happy. You're looking well and extremely lovely. I am well. All the foolishness is gone. I know that whatever happened to poor Roger, it was not you who killed him. I know that I never really heard his ghost call to me. It, it was my imagination. Think why I ever wanted to hurt you. I'm sure I love you. Then why do you doubt that I am your husband? You're so like me, yet so unlike him. His daddy died in Africa. Then who am I, Rose? I don't know. But you're kind to me. And when you're near, I'm happy. Rose, look at me. I am Everard. I am can't you see? It's Roger. He's calling me. Ever I do hear it, don't I? It's not just in my head. Rose. Let me go. I must wave to him from the window. He never rests until I wave to him from the window. Please. Rose, Rose, if you love me, do one great favor for me. Do not go to the window. Don't wave. I must wave. I can't stand his cry. It's Rose, just... as you love me, please. Oh. All right, Everett. I'll do as you say, but hurry, hurry, please, hurry. I ran out of her suite and down the stairs. Parkins was standing in the entrance to Domini Hall, a heavy walking stick in his hand. I told him to follow me, and we hurried through the garden. And there, beneath Rose's window, I saw a dark shape. Slowly now, Parkins. <laughs> Slowly and quietly. <gasps> ah! Parkins! Parkins, help me! Come on, your stick! Well, well done, Parkins. Do you have a match? Uh, yes, sir. Well, strike it, man, strike it. Oh, very good, sir. Aye, right. take a look. And who is it? It's, it's Roger Unthank. Ah, telephone the hospital and flank me to send an ambulance for him at once. Roger. Right. Roger! Oh, you've, you've killed him. You've killed my son. He's not dead, Mrs. Unthank, oh, though he deserves to be. His jealousy drove him mad. If now Lady Domini recovers, I will forgive both you and your son for this revolting hoax. If she does not, I wish you both the blackest corner of hell. 
Rose had received a great shock that night, but as the summer wore on, she began to mend, and Dr. Harrison told me toward the end of August that he had every hope for her complete recovery. Meanwhile, the drift toward war quickened, and on the morning of the 1st of September, the German army smashed its way across the border into Poland. Simon telephoned me that morning to inform me that he would be at Dominey Hall that evening for a business conference, and about nine o'clock, he arrived. Mr. Seaman is here, sir. Thank you, Parkins. Oh, hello, Seaman. Oh, have you heard the terrible news, Sir Everard? Have you heard the wonderful news, Leopold? Our army is simply leaping ahead. I know. I have been listening to the wireless. We have to work quickly, very quickly. I must be in Ireland by tomorrow morning. Here, take these. What is it? These are microfilms, no larger than postage stamps. Ah. They contain your orders and the list of all our agents in these islands. Uh-huh. Now, Leopold, the fate of our espionage service here is now in your hands. Yeah, I understand. Good. And speaking of precaution, yeah? as you stooped to sit down just now, I distinctly saw the shape of your revolver in your hip pocket. Oh? Do you think it is wise to be carrying firearms about just oh, now? Oh, yeah, yeah, quite right. Here. Here, take care of it for me. Quick, quick, get the films out of sight. Into this drawer. Yes? What is it? Sorry to disturb you, sir, but Miss Strom is here and she And insists upon seeing you. Uh, Stephanie. Uh, Thank you, Parkins. That will be all. Yes, sir. Stephanie. I did not know you had returned from (laughs) Africa. This afternoon, and I brought a visitor with me. Now tell me, Dr. Schmidt, who is this man? Leopold or the Englishman? Why, he is... Uh, he is the Englishman. The English. What have you done with Leopold? What have you done with him? He met with the fate he'd prepared for me. His body sleeps on the bed of the Rumor River. Well, uh, I uh, don't understand. You came to me at Cape Town. You had all von Hagerstein's letters. You know his history. We exchanged the most intimate confidences in his camp. The letters and papers I took from him. And, and, and the money, the three million pounds? If the German Secret Service wishes to formulate a claim and sue What him. are you? You two lumps of earth clods. You let this Englishman stand oh, there and you... The lists. He has the lists of agents. Yes, and they should prove of great interest to His Majesty's government. Do something. We are three against one. Seaman. That doctor, not another step or I'll shoot. Oh, Seaman. Get, grab him. Get back, Seaman. No, no, no. No, no, don't, don't shoot. Don't, don't shoot. No, 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 please. Don't, don't shoot. Don't shoot. Yes, don't shoot. Telephone the military barracks at Norwich. Ask them to send a car and a strong escort immediately. Yes, sir. And then, uh, uh, Parkins, uh, come back here and see what uh, my guests will have. We're going now, Sir Everard. How is she? She's well. She's entirely well. See for yourself. Everard. Oh, Rose, my darling. Oh, my dearest. There were times when I couldn't believe you were my Everard. And now... Now? Now I know. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented Transcribed, The Great Impersonation by E. Phillips Oppenheim, adapted for radio by Walter Newman, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Sir Everard Dominey was Ben Wright, with Gene Bates, John Daner, Gabriel Windsor, Ted Von Eltz, Edgar Barrier, Ann Morrison, Parley Bear, and Ramsey Hill. 
Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmar. Next week, at the same time, you will hear Tell It Again, bringing you the great stories you all remember. Be sure to listen again next week when we Tell It Again. It's Sunday night, and you think the troubles of the week lie ahead of you, but your troubles are nothing compared to the risks and hazards of running a general store as Lum and Abner run their Jotham Down Emporium in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. Your troubles of business and your troubles in love dissolve like bubbles when Amos and Andy encounter the kingfish and his latest gold bricks. Your troubles of trying to make good in the social world, in the worlds of music, sport, and fashion, of just trying to make good, vanish like a dream once you've heard Jack Benny. Amos and Andy and Lum and Abner are heard on most of these same CBS stations. Jack Benny is heard on them all. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news and Let's Pretend, which follow over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Suspense, which is usually heard at this hour on Thursday nights, is taking its customary summer holiday. Suspense returns to the air eight weeks from tonight on Thursday, September 1st. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.